Hey, Rachel. Hello, Brian. So how was your week? It was terrible. I mean, whoever said that time only flows in one direction is a liar. They said because it's flowing backwards now? I feel like we're going backwards. We're, I, we're totally going backwards. I heard that time is flowing like a river. Isn't that a song? I've never heard that song. <laughs> okay, you've never heard of any of the terrible. songs. That's why we have the summer music series. This is no. Okay. The podcast where we shut it down. My name is no. My sign is no. My number is no. You need to let it go. You need to let it go. Need to let it go. Okay, Rachel, we have a very special episode, right? Yes, this is a hugely monumental episode of Nope. Uh, today, we are joined by our first guest in months. And what a guest this person is. Um, an American patriot who did not <laughs> wow. testify before the House Impeachment Committee and has a new book out this week. I am, of course, talking about my good friend, Aaron Geiger-Smith, the author of Thank You for Voting. And to those of you who are even thinking about buying that traitorous mustache John Bolton's book, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Take that money and buy Aaron's book instead, and we will link to it in the show notes. And we're going to talk to her all about it after we go through the notes and the latest in our summer music series. Welcome, Aaron. So happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. I would have testified in front of Congress had they asked. So I, I know, clear. I know you would have. You're a real patriot. No, no subpoena required. Democracy. No subpoena required. <laughs> I would have been there. I, I bought the book actually last night, and Thank uh, you. I dug right in uh, in bed, and uh, it kept me up for a while. Like I normally fall right asleep, and it was a page turner. So. I'm glad. That's <laughs> listen. When I beat Bolton by one, I'll have you to thank. <laughs> all right, all right. So, uh, Rachel, uh, as we get started, anything you're still out there, Long Island? Anything interesting happened this week? I mean, not that interesting, but like you know, we're entering the summer, and it's time for my parents to open their pool. And my dad like took the pool cover off this week. Um, and of course, the pool was all green with algae and had a low water level because it's been dormant all year, which is totally normal. And you need to run the pump for a few days in order the for the water to get clear again. And I was upstairs trying to get some work done, and I heard a commotion. Um, AJ was standing by the door to the Wait, pool. Whenever, and- whenever there's a commotion in your house, it's either AJ, Coco, or some combination or both. of the two. Right? Yes. <laughs> It's the only exciting thing that happens involves them. So um, so AJ was standing by the door to the pool and Coco just saw her window of opportunity and jumped out <laughs> and uh, ran through the door and jumped right into the green, disgusting pool. And she's never done this before. It's a new behavior. She's opportunistic. So, <laughs> she saw it while you see a chance, take it. <laughs> I know. But last summer we tried to get her in the pool so many times and she'd t- like dip one paw in and come out and now she's swimming in algae. So uh, we had just given her a bath, so we had to wash her again. It was very annoying, but um, she's uh, a lot more interesting than humans. So that's a that, delightful that's story. A... <laughs> Thank you I'm for sorry, sharing. That's my, story. <laughs> my only story is that I got a haircut, a real professional haircut in a professional salon. Really? Yeah. Razzle dazzle? <laughs> no, they're closed. But it turns out the salon I normally go to actually went bankrupt, not because of COVID. Like it went bankrupt like the week before COVID. And my guy mm-hmm. actually took five of the employees and he went and he started his own salon like during the three months of COVID. And then it's day one that they're open. He opened up and it was packed. It was great. That's awesome. Did he all, wear like gloves and uh, He didn't wear gloves. Or? We all had masks. It felt very safe. And uh, I have great looking hair now. What's left of it. 
I think people are starting to get haircuts now that I've noticed that. Yeah. Well, we've had two days of hair cutting and people are getting their hair <laughs> cut. Okay. This their, is this was not a very in interesting cages. work for either us, either of us. Can we talk about the rest of the world now? Yes. Okay. Yes, so um, a few weeks ago, I think we were talking about, and it was like based on Jen Senior's column, was that Trump was finally having like a turning point week. It was the worst week of his presidency. There was the Bible thing. There were the riots. Sarah's... It was just terrible for him, right? Well, we were hopeful that it was, but you we just hopeful, never know. But our our uh, it, our hopes and dreams were even exceeded this week because I think he had an even worse week. Because the only thing that's worse than Trump angry is Trump paranoid, and this I think was the week of Trump paranoia. And uh, <clears throat> there are four big betrayals that he suffered. The slings and arrows this week. And I'm going to give a quick rundown of the, the four betrayals, like the four questions at Passover of, uh, of who betrayed him. And we already mentioned he was betrayed by John Bolton. Um, so, of course, we know we just mentioned there's the new book that makes him look like more of an ignorant ass than ever. Some of the tasty morsels, as he said, that Putin played him like a fiddle. He didn't know that Finland was a country. He said that Trump asked China to interfere in the election. Basically, he asked everyone who would listen to interfere in the election and that the crimes that he committed went far beyond what was in the impeachment. I will withhold my judgment about why he didn't say so at the time. Given. Okay. And he did this interview with Martha Raddatz on ABC where he called him a danger for the republic. He said, I hope history will remember him as a one term president who didn't purge the country irrevocably into a downward style we can't recall from. We can get over one term. I have absolute confidence. Two terms I'm more troubled about. Okay. So um, this is one of those people who, you know, turned on him having been an insider. But there's lots of those people like Omarosa did it, right? Remember Omarosa, RIP? Of course. Season one of The Apprentice. <laughs> Where is she now? I wonder. <laughs> she's I running a she's running a think tank on K Street <laughs> or something. Um, but I'm sure he felt very betrayed by this nonetheless, because he just doesn't like people saying bad things about him. Then he was betrayed by a ramp and a glass of water, as we know, because he had this rally in Tulsa, which was a third empty or two thirds empty. He got humiliated by these K-pop fanatical TikTokers who bought their reserved tickets and then didn't show up. But what was surprising to me about the betrayal is that on the stage, he went on a 15-minute ramp where he's obsessed with this, like, water ramp situation that happened at West Point. Wait, he went on a rant, not a ramp. He went on a <laughs> rant about the ramp. ramp. He went on a rant about the ramp betrayal. It's he was ramp. Betrayed. Is it ramp season? <laughs> <laughs> that was a month ago, but um, he's running rampant. Um, so, you know, he, he just couldn't stop talking about it. He said the ramp was wet, and it clearly wasn't wet, and he was like, it was wearing, an ice skating rink, he said, right. and he his was, shoes were leather. Right, like, right, I mean, this like, is the macho man that we right. are looking up to. Right, because like, we all know leather shoes can't walk on a wet ramp. That's like <laughs> that's like a fundamental law of physics, like entropy or gravity. Right, yeah. and I'm sure that the four-star generals who were like managing this event had like a slippery <laughs> ice ramp for the president to walk on. Like, no, they don't know how to plan things. It was like okay. an Olympic ski jump. Um, <laughs> and then they go back and they roll tape that Biden likes, you know, who he's always making fun of for being feeble and sleepy, like sprinted up the very same ramp when he gave the same address a couple of years ago. And then the other thing during this West Point speech is he was very clearly trembling um, when he was trying to drink this glass of water. And 
you know, you could say, okay, some people have a tremble, but he, of course, cannot be seen to have any physical weakness. So at the rally, he proudly held up a bottle of water and he said, look, they said I can't drink water. And he like takes a big guzzle and then throws the water aside. And that was his like big macho moment that he can. They're shouting four more years because he can drink a glass of water with one hand. (laughs) Just goes to show we'll elect anyone who can drink a glass of water, which is everybody. Um, <laughs> and then he was betrayed by uh, by Bill Barr uh, in two different ways. First of all, there was like the bunker gate where uh, when Trump was squirreled away into a bunker, Trump himself said that he was just there to inspect the bunker. And Barr said, no, it was because the Secret Service were alarmed and ushered him to the bunker, which is exactly what he was scared about. And then there was this whole schmagoo with firing the U.S. attorney, Jeffrey Berman, right? First, yes. Berman said he was resigned, like Barr forced him to resign. And they said Berman was resigning. And then Berman said he's not resigning. And Trump was furious at the confusion. Then they made him. They fired him, actually. And Trump was furious. And that makes me happy. But because well, most- now the deputy is the is the. Right. Well, no, no, no. He tried. To, he tried to appoint some like flack. Right. Some, some like n- yeah, some person who was completely like a twenty-two-year-old intern, and uh, <laughs> they wound up actually going with the deputy. And then the biggest betrayal, which is apropos of our guest, and I'm going to throw it over to you in a minute, Aaron, is that he uh, he's obviously feels betrayed by the ballot box, even though no ballots have been cast. He is preparing us for the fact that he's going to lose, saying that you know. It's going to be rigged. And uh, he had this tweet in all caps, which shouldn't be surprising. He says, rigged 2020 election. Millions of mail-in ballots will be printed by foreign countries and others and others. It will be the scandal of our times. So the question is to you, Aaron, this is a softball. (laughs) Why do you think, (laughs) in the historical context, (laughs) why do you think he is so obsessed with like mail-in ballots? Like, Shouldn't it just be that anyone who can vote? I mean, they're pretty secure, right? I mean, mail-in ballots? They are. They're very secure. There is no evidence of any sort of widespread fraud with mail-in ballots. And even that tweet, honestly, it caused me... causes me stress it makes me worried just, wait just just stress it caused me an aneurysm I mean, really i mean because there are just so many things to talk about but one there was one reporter who really covers the full-out mechanics of the machines and the paper and all the things had this long tweet thread her name's jessica Husman, and she you know it was like number one there's a million that's a slight exaggeration but so many different ballots you yeah, know, for yeah. every county and state, and there are so many of them. There are specific weights. They have barcodes. You have to your signature match on the outside envelope has to match your voter roll signature. I mean, there are just so many things, and I just I wish we could focus on the logistics of all the counties and states getting ready for this massive flood of requests for mail-in ballots that they've never had before. Like, we need to focus on the real issue and it just takes away from now I mean, it's insane, that's the strategy it's, right it's the that's insanity. the point i assume yeah. it's the strategy which um, is extra ironic because he's he's warning us against foreign countries interfering and that's exactly what he wants them to do that's it's what just, he does all the time he's like it's going to be the most rigged election ever and it's like because i'm gonna rig it you know like, <laughs> but i mean the, also the bottom line is i mean i realize we've lost everything um in this particular administration about the buck stops here. I mean, he certainly has said many times the buck doesn't stop there. But (laughs) if there's a worry about election problems, then perhaps 
the president of the United States could try to find some solution. You know, he is. <laughs> How dare I mean, you? So that's, I know. I, these are crazy things. This is a crazy that, idea. That, tweet, that is like, so stupid. That is the stupidest know, thing I've ever man. heard. No, I know. No, no, don't do anything. Know. Don't do, let's I'm not bad. do anything. Trump. Guys, I know. Paranoia. Just crazy ideas. It's Bring bad enough. Out. It's more bad watching enough. watching Fox News. Oh, Thank God. you for your historical <laughs> context, though, Aaron. More of that, uh, where that came from. Okay, so can we nope, just nope the paranoia down? Like, it's bad enough without him, like, that's a, a new dimension of crazy words. So are those him. the four things, or is there one more? Because I thought no. there's one more, right? No, that or was the... four. That was four. He was uh, betrayed by Bolton, betrayed by a ramp, betrayed by Bill Barr, <laughs> and betrayed by the ballot box. And a water glass, and well, also, <laughs> and also, Mary Trump. Oh, that's right. Tell me about that. I haven't been following that as much. So, Mary Trump is his niece, and she has a book coming out that's like a tell-all about the most dangerous man in the world, and he's trying to block the publication of the book. But who knows? if he'll be able to. And um, I just say, okay, Mary Trump, we're listening. That's okay. <laughs> like, I never heard of this Mary Trump, but I'm, I'm here for it. It sounds made up. It sounds a little made, made up, right? It sounds like a drag queen or like, <laughs> know, like, like a code Mary, for his like, like gay, his, like, gay, his gay cousin or something. <laughs> yes. We just call her Mary. <laughs> Mary Trump. <laughs> okay, like, Mary. she's been hiding this whole time? Bye, like, Felicia. <laughs> right. Like, sure, Jan. Sure, Mary. <laughs> Okay, nope, 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 nope. nope totally. Okay, okay. That was very serious, I guess. We have some silly nopes, don't we, Rachel? Um, yeah, I mean, somewhat silly, but also somewhat um disturbing. So <laughs> okay, you know, I don't know what they are. I just saw <laughs> I think <laughs> I last week we talked about a story where the headline said it all, and um that happens sometimes. And then other times there's a headline that raises more questions than it answers. And this is one of those times. So there was an article this week in the Atlantic with the following headline. My Little Pony fans are ready to admit they have a Nazi problem. <laughs> and so I think we need to unpack this. Um, my first reaction is, what? My Little Pony still has fans? And they have no, a Nazi there's problem? Like, it's, like a, it's got a bro following, right? Huge yeah. fans, the My Little Pony. Yeah, I mean, the bros. I, it's I like a frat think, thing. I didn't think it was still... I thought it... it went away i thought it was like the tide pod challenge i thought it was like a fat you know <laughs> no, passing it's, fad. it's here to stay it's persistent it's a okay <laughs> so they have a nazi problem yeah. and they weren't ready to admit it until now so what makes them ready to admit it now um so i'm gonna sum up what's going on here and um it's insane so um okay so there's a television show called my little pony friendship is magic and it's a reboot of the show from the 1980s i think yeah. um and despite the fact that it's intended for children, it has a dedicated fan base of adult males called bronies. And that's what we were yes. just referring to. Um, and, you know, I had heard of these bronies, but like, I just, I don't know. I didn't think that it was still here. And there are two types of bronies. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> like the, the white shirts and the brown shirts? Like yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, there are the types of bronies that embrace my Little Pony earnestly and really love the the sweetness and the the mystery. Um, and there are ones who think it is edgy and ironic to be an adult obsessed with cartoons 
cartoon ponies. Okay, oh, so I the latter that, group. I would have thought that it's all the latter. I can't. I, I didn't realize there were people who actually, earnestly, anyone over the age of five who really. Like, <laughs> I know. Were actually this is, into it. This is all very surprising. <laughs> I agree. Um, so the the latter group, the edgy, ironic ones, are the contain the Nazis. And I'm not trying to say that all ironic bronies <laughs> are Nazis. Just that all Nazis that are also bronies are ironic bronies. Wait, where's the Venn diagram here? I'm very it's a, sub, it's a subset. This it's is like, like an SAT question. <laughs> if all bronies are Nazis, <laughs> but not right. all Nazis are bronies. Or earnest. Or, or earnest. <laughs> How many earnest bronies are there? <laughs> yes. Um, so it's like, I, it, it reminds me of like that Pepe the Frog meme, remember, in yeah. 2016? Yeah, sure. But like instead of just a frog, there's a whole cast of pony characters and like a fan universe of deplorable horses. Um, <laughs> and so, deplorable horses. I haven't heard anything that's deplorable. Well, I'm about to tell you. So this is so it's it's just like it's just really, I don't feel like it should be the horse's fault. Like, no, who, who did what did the horses oh ever do to us? <laughs> They're really bad. So it's it's really like anything else right now. It's really um a battle about content moderation and it's happening all over the internet, whether it's in the brony community or Facebook and Instagram. And what I didn't know is that the brony community comes together on this website called Derpiburu, which is a combination of a pony character's name and a common term for these image boards. And that's where they post their fan art. And these bronies are very into fan art. And so um, this site has emerged as one of the most anything goes free speech fanatical communities on the internet, like worse than 4chan. And the Nazis have taken over and they're posting all kinds of like wildly inappropriate My Little Pony fan art. And so here's a few examples. There's a My Little Pony with a pink swastika on her butt that fans have named Aryan. Oh, God. Okay, okay there yeah. are ponies wearing MAGA hats, of course. Um, there's a recent image of ponies representing the two white astronauts uh, on the SpaceX shuttle with Black Lives Matter protesters in the background represented by zebras and given an offensive name that I'm not even going to say, um, which is terrible. And the administrators of these boards have until now refused to take any action. They say free speech, you know, whatever. They won't moderate it in is any it way. Is it its own site or is it like a subreddit? It's its own site. Okay. Um, and Just so, clarifying. <laughs> I don't know why it matters, but okay. So yes. what happened to change their minds? Um, the Black Lives Matter protest happened, and they caused a fight on this pony, <laughs> this Ex pony, pony fan Express. art site. <laughs> <laughs> So the bronies who are earnest and the bronies who are Nazis got in this big battle. <laughs> so on June 4th, the owners of the of the site, they tweeted a statement in support of Black Lives Matter. And they announced this new site wide policy where they're banning uploading images that were created to stir up trouble. And they removed images that were making fun of the protests. 
Um, but they did not ban any expressions of racism. So don't worry, Ariane, the swastika pony, is, is safe. It's <laughs> safe from harm. So like the policy change then leads to this uproar among the ironic Nazi bronies in the site's <laughs> forums, because, you know, of course, this is the beginning of a purity spiral. It's a slippery slope to censorship. It's authoritarianism. And I, I mean, this is just oh, the, nope. the, the, the pure, the uh, like the honest bronies are sticking up to defend the Nazi bronies. No, the the honest bronies are defending the right to take down. Oh, to take down. Things. They're not defending the free speech, quote unquote, of the no. Nazi bronies. OK, no, no. But of course, the Nazi bronies are snowflakes and think that this is authoritarianism. We're talking about a site about <laughs> cartoon ponies. And this is just a nope on so many levels. Like I cannot even believe this exists. These people need to recognize that not moderating racist posts and allowing them to proliferate in the name of free speech, it is a political decision. Like when you say, I'm staying out of politics, I'm going to just like leave all this shit up. That is political. Okay. You're choosing free speech over other people's feelings of safety and security. And so Nope to derp a buru, whatever. The- <laughs> <laughs> you haven't gone nearly far enough, and I think the world would be. They a could go, 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 join, it. go, join Facebook in the corner and yes. uh, have a time out and and think about the consequences of your actions. And no more bronies. I don't care if you're earnest. <laughs> I don't care if you're Nazis. Like just like really get an adult hobby, please. This it's is all been tainted. Enough. It's all been tainted. It's all been tainted. Okay, so that's that. So but no, I have no, another. Story about Nazis in the news. <laughs> I was um, hoping there would be more Nazi content. And you no, know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we were having a creative meeting and said, "What new direction should we take?" <laughs> nope, in this summer. And I was like, "I know summer music series." And Rachel's like, "I know more Nazi content." Nazis in the news. <laughs> so I <laughs> wait. I, I got to come up with a little like theme jingle, like Nazis in the news. <laughs> That would be amazing. Um, Mel Gibson uh, was back and he resurfaced this week uh, after Winona Ryder gave an interview to the Sunday Times in which she recalled this moment of light cocktail party banter with Mel Gibson. And it happened many years ago, but she's recounting the story. She's at a crowded Hollywood party with one of her friends who happen to be gay and Mel Gibson is out there smoking a cigar and he says to Winona's friend, oh, wait, am I going to get AIDS? This was like in the early 2000s. And then something came up about Jews, she said, and Mel Gibson said to her, you're not an oven dodger, are you? Oh, my God. Has um, he learned nothing? Has he learned nothing? He's the master of charming party <laughs> small talk. <laughs> That's what this shows. He should have so, a book. He should have a little like... <laughs> Coffee table book. <laughs> like, yes. How to how to charm the Jewesses <laughs> at the parties. So <laughs> for the liberal when, conversation tidbits for the liberal Hollywood elite. <laughs> <laughs> Etiquette. Um, so Winona said that Mel, Mel Gibson, he um, after this event, he tried to apologize to her, but Gibson then issued a statement now saying that that is an absolute lie, that he never said the thing about Winona being an oven dodger, and he certainly never apologized for it. And then Winona responded to this denial with a truly elegant, gracious statement befitting our finest living Jewish actress. Um, she said... Winona, Winona Horowitz. 
Winona Horowitz, love her. She said, only by accepting responsibility for our behavior in this life can we make amends and truly respect each other. And I wish him well on his lifelong journey. That is beautiful. <laughs> that is, that is truly touching, touching well-crafted. Um, so as a result of this conversation, um, Mel Gibson, he's got four movies coming out this year. Hollywood continues to hire Who would him. distribute his movies? That's a lot of people. He's got four movies. And uh, but but he was just fired this week from the sequel to Chicken Run, (laughs) the animated feature, (laughs) because of what he did. Maybe they'll hire him on My Little Pony. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he can be the content moderator for the Brony Art Forum. (laughs) So uh, I, I just feel like whoever says there's no justice is full of shit. Mel Gibson. The consequences are right there before our eyes. No more chicken run too. Um, nope to Mel Gibson. Can we can we just cancel Mel Gibson already? Like, how does he have four movies coming how out? How does he what come out of on? his cave? How do, how do they let him out of his hole? Has he worked do, off that drunk driving incident yet? Like, no. I mean, how is he even let out of taking his house? meetings? I know. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to be just like in a in a cave somewhere. Just okay. Wait, whoa. I want to I want to throw this there in for a minute. So this is uh, this. <laughs> is going to catch you off guard. So where like where does like the whole moderation wars fall like in the context of voting cuz you would one might say the 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 anti-moderation people would say the only sure. way we can have free and fair elections is if everybody says whatever they can and if it's crazy we just won't vote for that person. That's what they say. And what give me like a well-formulated response rather than my lunatic rantings against that. Um, I think that people get to say whatever they want, but it doesn't have the right to be everywhere. Yeah. So if you are a site, especially a, a private site, if you're not a government run site, then you get to reasonably cut people off when they're saying <laughs> lies or really um, racist things. So and you, we, re- you know, there one can be on any end of the spectrum of free speech, but th- I mean, the fact is they can moderate it. And it's so important for voters to have accurate information. Right. And right. voters shouldn't have to do all of the work to run down if every insane video is accurate or not. And I mean, a, a minor plug, but I do in the book talk about ways to spot things that aren't accurate. And essentially, if someone's yelling at you, they're probably. You know, not too straight. Um, Despite the fact that this podcast is basically us yelling, particularly <laughs> well, yelling with laughter. And yeah, when yeah. it's My Little Pony, then all things are off. All, you it's can, all you can go no, but, in whichever direction you want. But, but you, and you said in the introduction, it like you were very, very clear. <laughs> I say the introduction because that's what I read before I fell asleep. But <laughs> you say <laughs> you say very. It's not that it caused me to fall asleep. It was just late, and you read a little and you fall asleep. I gotcha. I'm fine. <laughs> okay. but no, very, you were very, very clear that like you're in favor of voting and you're not telling people how to vote, but it's a it's a cry for people to engage civically and like learn about the issues and vote accordingly. But yeah. I think what you're saying is that like it's not a private company's responsibility to like give everybody an equal voice. No, I mean it's just not. You don't have to host every single comment on Earth, and also a responsibility, I think, to not host things that are not true <laughs> as best as best you yeah. can. Yeah. 
I mean, well, it's, it's like just... freedom of speech versus freedom of reach, right? Right. Oh, exactly. well, yeah, there yeah. you go. For the, yeah, for the exactly. record, I'm, I'm playing a straw man here. I'm just, I'm, I'm... <laughs> no, <laughs> no I... I do. It's so important though. It's, um, it's so hard for people to find all the right information and it's even more difficult when there's a ton of nonsense coming at you. Hallelujah. Well, an easy nope to Mel Gibson. Shut it down. I don't want to hear your voice. Why no forever though? Why no forever? Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Okay. So nope to all that. Now, now my favorite part of the show (laughs) we have come to, I wish I had a jingle summer music series. Okay. So, um, (laughs) Last week we did. Uh, I don't even know where to begin with. This. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so it's gone so off the rail. <laughs> okay, well, last week we did Xanadu from the uh, 1980 movie of the same name by Olivia Newton-John, and we um, were rewarded. We were actually soothsayers. We predicted the future because this week there is an article, right, Rachel, that um, roller skating is yeah, coming the back. Yeah, Times. Yeah, and the, that whole movie is about Xanadu. Because of Xanadu. <laughs> and we predicted this. When we picked Xanadu last week, it was the most random fucking song and movie I could think of. And here it is. We triggered a global fad. And it was uh, in your tarot. It was like a, it was <laughs> in your, not, your tarot basically told me I was gonna like be homeless and die in the next week. <laughs> It did not say that you. Skates. It did not say that you will spur a, na- a global roller skating trend. Okay, but this week, this week is even better. <laughs> this week, I, we, we've outdone ourselves. We are going to do "Love Will Keep Us Together," as made famous by the Captain and Tennille. Now, I understand that a lot of the kids out there, or not even kids. Uh, will not know who or what that is, but by the time we're done, you, like I, I trust, will be obsessed. Okay, so here's what it is. So Captain and Tennille were this, like, duet duo from the mid-'70s, and it was composed of Tony Tennille, the woman, from Alabama. She's a very wholesome, talented singer with, like, a 70s bowl haircut. (laughs) Uh, and uh, she played against type. She she sang back up on a lot of things. She also sang back up on Dark Side of the Moon, which was a shocking revelation to me because she doesn't seem the type. And the captain is actually the pseudonym for Daryl Dragon, and he's the piano player. Um, and he had a long career. He played piano ba- as part of the like the the studio band for the Beach Boys. And his shtick is that he plays the piano and he wears a captain's hat and like a is captain's he outfit. Captain Kangaroo is he the same? <laughs> yeah, <it's> captain. <laughs> kangaroo no he's captain kangaroo adjacent he's and captain crunch they're all of it they have a club captains of the 70s they're they're all of a type okay so this song love will keep us together was written by neil sadaka um who you may have heard of or not heard of he wrote the song a few years before he recorded it himself and it was a flop and then someone else tried to record it and the second recording was by a group called, uh, two people called Mac and Katie Kissoon, with two S's and two O's. And that, not shockingly, was a flop also. And then the stars aligned, where a great song and a great performer came together, and it was recorded by the Captain and Tennille. It was a mega hit. It was number one for four weeks. It is the perfect bouncy pop song. It run, won the record of the year for the Grammy. It's just like a perfect song. And uh, I'm going to play it now so you'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, 
Okay, so this magisterial perfection of a song catapulted the Captain and Tennille to stardom. They had a, a variety show. Remember in the 70s, like people used to have like the Sunny and Share variety show. Everyone had a variety show. You, you were nobody if you didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> well, they had the Captain and Tennille variety show, which was canceled after 20 episodes. And Rachel, you came across them in another like movie context or song that they did, right? Yeah, my friend sent, after we had covered um, Gloria, um, by our Italian friend, Totsi. <laughs> My friend said, you should do this Captain and Tennille song. And it was uh, called Muskrat Love. And I watched it. And basically, it was dedicated to Henry Kissinger because <laughs> they performed it at the White House. And Henry Kissinger was staring at Tennille the whole time with like a very bored look on, <laughs> on his face. And she's singing the song about muskrats and love. And I just don't understand like how that was greenlit, you know, like how like, it was the seventies, all kinds people, of shit happened. Yeah, people were high. It, it didn't make any sense. Okay. okay. Now the video for this song was very basic. It was like performed on a stage with two backup singers, the captain and Tennille, but they're both at pianos and they're set at 90 degrees to each other. And I'm not kidding. They have six keyboards between the two of them. They have like <laughs> each have a piano and then there's like analog synthesizers like piled on top of each other, like ready to topple over. She's wearing a purple sequin outfit. She's like having a great time. She's smiling. She's bopping along. He's got his captain outfit in. And it, it seems like a very innocuous basic video. But then they can't leave well enough alone. In the background, there's this grainy video of like, random people on the street singing along, except none of them are actually singing the same words as what you're hearing on the song. They they're just sort the of words. like, they're, they're just, like, just like, they're just <laughs> flapping their lips. Like, they're just like, like, hadn't they like, you know, I don't know. Hadn't they like invented sinking sound at that point? <laughs> they're just like, we have this video. We have to just play it in the background. We don't or know. Like get them to smile. They looked so like bored. They looked like, put why? up. They looked put upon. They were like, <laughs> it was like a grandmother and she's like, what's going on here? <laughs> It's like, like a montage. It was a true cross section of life. <laughs> of humanity. <laughs> one yes. voice, one song, one voice, all brought together by the captain and Tennille. Okay, but believe it or not, the original recording for all of its glory is the least interesting of the recordings of uh, Love Will Keep Us Together. Here are two of the notable uh, covers that were done. This is, <laughs> this, this must be seen to be believed. So I really urge you, beg you. To look in the show notes and click on this video. This is a version that is sung by the the short-lived Bond hero, Bond, Timothy Dalton, and none other than Mae West. Um, yes, <laughs> like who was born in like 1873. <laughs> um, so it's from a movie, the video, and the movie is called Sextet. And it's from 1977, and I think it's a little cook, like play on words, sextet. Ooh! And here are the stars of this movie: Mae West, Timothy Dalton, <clears throat> Dom DeLuise, Tony Curtis, Ringo Starr, Alice Cooper, Keith Moon, and Regis Philbin. Wow, it's got everything. <laughs> <laughs> it's a cast of thousands. We love the cast. That's our specialty, cast of thousands. Okay, so I am, Rachel, you've watched this video. Erin, did you did you catch this video? We sent I it ahead. I did. Okay. I absolutely did okay. watch this. Well, I'm going to do my best <laughs> to describe it, but feel free to jump in if I'm not doing it justice. So 
it's the two of them in a room and they're sort of like courting each other. And Timothy Dalton is serenading Mae West. Uh, he's wearing a tuxedo. She's like in this powder blue dress. There's and an age of, difference. There's right. It's about. it's very much of a May December <laughs> you romance. Know, I, I found that part progressive. We yeah. were, we're, it wasn't May December. It was like <laughs> May to last January. Like like she she could be his great. He could be her great grandson. And they're like circling around each other. Except May West can barely move. Like she like is like moving one ankle. She's like ambling <laughs> along very slow. And like, like Timothy Dalton of... is like circling around her. And she can like barely make eye contact because like her face doesn't move, her lips don't move, um, and she's just kind of like cooing and purring, whatever. Like I don't know, like <laughs> whatever. Like she <laughs> sings like three words in the song. So hold on, at this point, I I can't describe it. I'll I'll just play it. Some sweet talking guy comes along, singing his song. Don't mess around. You gotta be strong. Stop. But I really love you. Mm, stop. I'll be thinking of you. Look in my heart and let love keep us together. Whatever. Okay, so this all happens. Imagine that. And then it ends. They move to the bedroom in the end. And they're about to kiss. And I'm thinking, oh, is this, this is risque. Is like. Timothy Dalton really gonna kiss this like bag of bones and is like he ready for this? <laughs> is he ready to he go to sec- to first base? Like it's, it's like zero. Like, <laughs> they're at like zero base and they're like cooing at each other and he's ready to make the big he's move. He's like giving her a bracelet. He's like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. And uh so uh then as soon as he starts kissing up her arm and then he's about to get to her face, and they're so close. There's interrupted by a knock on the door, and she goes, What is that? <laughs> <laughs> Scene. <laughs> okay. Okay. Do any of you have anything to add to my <laughs> inadequate description well, of this movie? I, I felt like she was dressed in sort of the height of fancy quarantine, I would say. <laughs> oh. Covered caftan, all. A monochrome look. I I was kind of worried. I'm headed in that direction. If I'm being honest, she was she was was zoom ready. Quarantine left (laughs) of the full coverage caftan. She had Um, a feather boa too, right? Like yeah, I haven't I haven't added that yet, but. Yeah, she was, you know, you know she was, she was doing her, she's Mae West, fuck you, like, she could she do whatever, could do whatever, she, whatever wants. she wants, yeah. yeah. Right, I'm Britney, bitch, I'll, like, I'm Mae West, bitch, okay, so, um, just when you thought that was the weirdest cover of this, I am now going to take us fast forward to 2001, to a movie which you may or may not, most likely may not have seen, called Get Over It, and it was one of those, like, you know, it was like 10 Things I Hate About You, She's All That. Like, one of the, we know the genre of those movies, right? And it stars Kirsten Dunst, and it's based on Midsummer Night's Dream. And it is, the plot is, it's about a high school senior who desperately tries to win back his ex-girlfriend by joining the school play she and her new boyfriend are performing in, despite the advice of friends. Very basic, like classic 90s, early 2000s plot. It costs $22 million to make, and it only brought in $19 million. So it was a loser. And you may ask yourself, for a basic teen movie like this, especially in 2001, how the hell did this thing cost $22 million to make? 
I have the answer. (laughs) I have the answer. Here is the cast of Get Over It. And I this is important because it's played over the opening credits where the song is. It stars Kirsten Dunst, Ben Foster, Mila Kunis, Zoe Saldana, Colin Hanks, Ed Begley Jr., Swoosey Kurtz, (laughs) Carmen Electra, Cisco Thong Song, and Martin Short. Who what? What casting director? (laughs) What casting director? This should have won Best Picture. And we were talking about casting directors like, just give me everyone, (laughs) give give them all, I'll take them all. The whole town. Wasn't this the year that there was like the actors' strike? And they're like, who's going to be a scab? Who's going to break the strike? Because I'll take them. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I think earlier we were talking about this. I said, uh, this should have won Best Picture. And you said, like, it was, it It had to be the the only picture. picture How did they make anything else? Everyone was employed on this one movie. It's crazy. (laughs) Okay. Well, then they ask, how do we put all these people to use? Um, and uh, so the opening sequence is where I come around to the song. Um, it is over the opening credits, and it starts in silence with this guy, I'm guessing it's the lead, carrying a small box walking out of, like, the Brady Bunch house. Um, and it's like his possessions, and it looks like he just got kicked out, and he's really depressed. And then as soon as he walks past the, gado- the, the garage, he's followed by, like, this goth girl and some rocker guys. And it's kind of like an Avril Lavigne knockoff, but, like, they couldn't afford Avril Lavigne because they ran out their budget on Cisco. Um, well, she hadn't been born yet. Then. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, no, she was, like, three. Um, okay. And, and then the, the little, like, goth bands, the Avril Lavigne band, start singing Love Will Keep Us Together. And he's walking down the street, and they start trailing him and walking behind him. And then little by little, various neighborhood characters, like the Fisher-Price villagers, start coming in and joining the crowd. So first it's like an old man and his wife in like backyard gardening clothes with like knee pads and a trowel. Then out of nowhere, a bride and groom come up and like the, the groom like lifts the bride and twirls her. And they're in the parade. Then there's a United States Postal Service and a UPS delivery truck, and each of them come together and they start doing ballet lifts with each other, which is like cats and dogs, <laughs> mortal enemies brought together. Then ahead of By those the trucks, there's two garbage <laughs> trucks and out come two garbage men with white gloves and they start doing the jitterbug with each other. And then, as the grand finale, <laughs> in comes a large marching band with a white tuba and a majorette. Um, and there's this, like, incredible, I get this frisson. It's like, it's another, like, Xanadu scene. Um, it is. I think it was inspired by Xanadu, except without the roller skates. Um, they might have been wearing roller skates. They didn't just didn't film the feet. And then it all ends with the main guy in the front giving a primal scream like he just can't take it anymore. And then he wakes up and it's a dream. And then I learned two things in the comments. Number one that I hadn't noticed, I went back and watched, it's all one tracking shot. So it's just yeah. like that's a cinematic masterpiece. Like it's the, like that World War One movie. Yeah, um, what, uh, uh, yeah, where they're Dunkirk? on the beach. Dunkirk, where they're on the beach, or, chil- Dun- or, no. or or yeah, Dunkirk, or Children of. Oh no, not that the other one, right? 
the other one yeah, where they're running <laughs> through the trenches right <laughs> right um or uh children of men where there was that one with him backing up the car for all that long or that new amazon movie about the ufos so it's uh he's an artiste um and then the other one i just love this comment someone said sometimes you can you can tell you're going to love a movie in 60 seconds <laughs> and that sort yeah. of sums it up right it was 1917 so i think okay um yeah, 1917, um, whoever the director was, Sam Mendes, was probably inspired by this <laughs> film. By the captain in Tennille. <laughs> As yes. a small child, he was inspired. He was like, he was one of the, he, he was one of the people lip syncing in the back of the video. Like, not, was like, I want it to be like, get over it, but in the trenches. <laughs> <laughs> World War I. <laughs> Okay, so that is our recap of the long history of the Captain and Tennille's love. Will, actually, Neil Sadaka's love will keep us together. Thank I, you for that <laughs> for my, Thank you for your service. <laughs> okay, so everybody go and listen. Nope to that whole story, I guess. Uh, thank you for listening to the Summer Music Series. Next week, Rachel, you're going you're gonna to pick a song for next week, right? Um, sure, I can. Okay, yeah. I'm tired of mansplaining these songs to you all. <laughs> like, it's your turn. <laughs> I'll, I'll do one next week. Fine. Okay. 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 So this. So now we have the exciting part of the podcast. <laughs> I had advertised that as the, the exciting time. part, and now, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, now it's the really exciting. We part. saved the best for last. Um. So we've got Erin Geiger Smith. Um. Her new book is "Thank You for Voting," and um. I know that releasing your first book in the midst of a pandemic is not what you had planned. However, it's right, so timely. And yeah, and I just I think this national crisis in some ways really highlights what you're trying to say in the book. It highlights the importance of voting. And I'm reading it right now. It's amazing. It's chock full of fascinating details that I either didn't Thank know you. or had learned at one point and forgot. Um, and so I don't want to put words in your mouth. So tell us about the book. What was your objective in telling this complicated, convoluted historical story? Um, sure. So after the 2016 election, I just had a lot of questions um, about the electoral college. No answers, lots of questions. But about the electoral electoral college and what we're on with polling and all of those things. But no matter how I thought about those bigger issues, it really just came down to individuals showing up and making some choices. Um, and that made me start looking into turnout and all these different things and a, a segued into doing a research project for Ann Patchett that was going to be um, a voting book. And then after a while, she recognized my obsession was too huge and was like, this is, you should write this book. You're, you've clearly gone off the ledge with your constant <laughs> voting research. Do something with it. Um, so I really just wanted to look at all aspects of voting and thought current suppression issues are so important and understanding those are so important. And it's hard to do that without knowing about how different groups got the vote and the hundredth anniversary of women's suffrage is also this year in August. Um, so I started by looking at the, the battles, both in the trenches and, and legal battles that got all different groups, African-Americans, native Americans, immigrants, women, 18 year olds, everybody the right to vote. And then looked at what was happening now and how to make things a little better. Um, the overall goal is just promoting access 
to the polls for everyone and making voting convenient. Um, but so after I did all that depressing research <laughs> over what was going wrong, um, I went and interviewed and visited a lot of different voting, uh, get out the vote groups. So young people just trying to make a difference. And honestly, it was really inspiring and impressive. And a lot of people doing a lot of good out there using social media in good ways. Um, no, my little pony groups. I'm sorry <laughs> to report that I, that I covered, but, um, and then I wanted to explain things that I knew I had so much to learn about, um, which included the electoral college and polling. Um, and then I wanted to do a news literacy chapter because, you know, news that is true and accurate and fair is important. Oh, news literacy is everything. Yeah. Um, that's one of our, yeah, that's one so of our pet I, causes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I tried to be really straightforward and not preachy was the goal because I, I could have gotten real preachy in that way. You're not, but I you're not. it's really um, like very even handed and like, I commend you for that. Thank you. Yeah. I just, I hope people will find it useful and entertaining. There's some, our history is tough, but there's a lot of fun, a lot of fun facts in there. There's so fun stuff. I hope it's yeah. helpful. I was just going to say, like, um, I loved your translations of uh, primary texts. Like, oh, you right. found I this that. hilarious quote uh, from John Adams. I was like oh, yeah. live texting you as I was reading the book. And <laughs> I liked it. it I cracked liked me up because, yeah, because John Adams said, like, if men who didn't own property suddenly had the vote, the whole world is just like, like animal, go, hey, animals will like, be yeah, voting. Yeah. Animals um, will vote. Women right. will vote. Women. Yeah, it was like worse. Every, women. It was like women. Women. Yeah, but but didn't you say didn't you say like this is this is uh, as written by John Adams? It is incoherent. So I have translated it and corrected the <laughs> yes. spelling, so you know what the hell like, we're talking about. Yeah, we can't. He basically yeah, shorter John Adams is. I would like no one to vote except people who look like me. Thanks He's for your a, time. A what national. I I can't. It's the crazier John Adams is that he wrote in response to his wife saying, I hope you guys remember the ladies. That's where the big suffrage kind of quote that you hear all the time comes from is her telling John Adams, when you're, you guys are writing all these new laws, I hope that you remember the ladies and do more right by us than has been in the past. Or she's like, or essentially we don't have to obey laws that don't involve us. I mean, it's a pretty straightforward <laughs> quote from Abigail Adams and his response was you're so saucy that's really it you're so saucy like well yes I am but that is not relevant to this conversation okay yeah I mean I I had trouble I think I had to parenthetical that one too because I was like no really he said saucy this is not this isn't me this is historical text so um, I, have, I have a question. Do you, when I get very angry when I ask a friend if they voted, like I went around yesterday for there was no particular contest and I wore my little, you know, badge, which I love wearing. Probably. Yeah. And I and I ask people, you know, do you vote or did you vote? And they say no. And it's always 90 percent of the time it's because I don't think it makes a difference. So is that is that a like lack of belief into like whether my vote like is it mathematical? Like so many people vote. My vote doesn't count. Or are they really, is that code for saying like all politicians are the same and it wouldn't matter who I vote for? I think, you know, it's probably half and half. I think both people, many people feel each way. Um, 
one of the things that I learned to how people respond to that, that voting advocates and people who go register people respond is to, to make it as local as possible because it is, you know, mathematically difficult to argue yeah. your vote for president, you know, it's, it's a tough sell numbers wise, but they say, you know, do you care about your local schools? If you have kids in those schools, like especially the 18 year olds, they say, school board might choose your extracurricular activities that you have. You want to vote for that or, but especially now, I mean, the circumstances of the world have given us the very important argument (laughs) of, do you think your mayor might matter? (laughs) Is the mayor or, you know, police, police chiefs are elected in many cases. Um, So our local officials have shown themselves to be either very important or very detrimental in this crazy time. So that's kind of, that's what the experts say is to make it as local and personal as you can. I had never thought of that. That alone is worth the price of the book, that advice. (laughs) Happy to, happy to be of service. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Rachel? Yeah. um, Do you think that there's a chance that the electoral college will ever go away in our lifetimes? I think in our lifetimes, it's possible. Um, There are certainly people who think it has a chance to go away sooner rather than later. Um, You know, I I am practical maybe to a fault about all of these things, Um, but it just takes such a massive turn. So there are these certain ways this um, interstate electoral college pack where these states have signed, you know, it, it, you have to have 270 votes in the electoral college to win the presidency. And so there's this pact where states have signed up and said, no matter who wins the popular vote in my state, we will vote for the popular vote winner nationwide. Oh, but it doesn't go into a, into effect until states that would equal 270 have agreed to it. And they're at 190 something, I think. You know, so that's something that if it got some momentum, it could happen. Um, there, so that's, that's like that's been, like a hack. It would have it basically. It's a, it's a hack. It would, yeah. yeah, it would yeah, yeah. have the same effect as uh, as abolishing the electoral. So who do we need to get on board? Like, what states do we? I, need well, to, like... you, you're gonna get, the bottom line is you're gonna have to get some Republican leaning states on board, and then you know this is one of those things too that if a Democratic president wins a few times in a row, then all of a sudden Democrats aren't as interested in throwing out the electoral college. I mean, that's sort of the problem is that it's always benefiting somebody. Um, but the two but, times in recent history where the electoral college vote differed from the popular vote. Both resulted in Republican presidents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly what the trend is out. Impossible not to argue that it, it favors Republicans currently. There have been times in not so long ago that either the Senate or the House did want to make massive changes to the electoral college. They've just never wanted to do it at the same time. So it's not, there are always proposals. I, I don't know. I, I'm, I feel like it's not going away anytime soon, but I asked every single electoral college person or even electoral college adjacent expert that I talked <laughs> to, what happens if we get two elections in a row where the popular vote and electoral college don't match up? What happens if we have three? Like, is there, are we, you know, mutiny in the streets, what will happen? And no one has an answer, which I realize that is not comforting. But, um, you know, it's just, it's so unusual that it happens. Um, And, you know, people, 
got very upset about Bush v. Gore, but um, you know, the, the temperatures weren't quite as high as they are now, obviously. Yeah. And like in a similar vein, like what can we do about the Senate? Like, can we get rid of the Senate? Because I feel like if we really want like representation and like one person, one vote, like why, like, let's get rid of that too. That's going to be a tough sell. But I'm, you know, as you know that would be a fairly substantial constitutional amendment. You know, yes. but, uh, but I mean, to get back on my hobby horse, that is why you really need to learn who's, who's running for, your house of representatives. I mean, right. It's right. very important to to keep that in mind. People know their senators usually, but a lot of people might not know their house member. So, um, all right. All right. Well, uh, yeah, we're out of time. So Aaron, thank you, not just for being our guest, but thank you for writing this book. It is important and entertaining. And it's a, yes. uh, as I Timely. said, yeah, Timely like as fuck. Yeah. if you, if you want to educate yourself about, you know, what can I do? So many people ask, what can I do? to whether it's Trump you care about or Black Lives Matter or whatever other issue you care about, the first answer is vote. And if you need any context about why voting is important, this is the book to read, right? Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening. It has been a terrible week, except for the release of this book and except for the fact that I got to watch all these Captain and Tennille videos. Uh, (laughs) Other than that, absolutely terrible. Um, But thank you for listening. This has been Nope. Podcast where we shut it down. (laughs) 